Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here. This episode is part of the Summer Series Takeover 2021, where a friend of the pod interviews an author of their choice to chat about books and any other topic they choose. Enjoy. Danny. Danny. Thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions, engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved. So um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, right. Jeff. Yeah, well done. That's so yeah. true. Oh, my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never, never edit that bit out. I could do this, and I was just so comfortable that I was like, It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? This is the Words and Nerds podcast, part of the Summer Series Takeover, and today I'll be hosting this one episode. My name is Rebecca Toltz. I'm a primary school teacher librarian, and I'm speaking to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of speaking to Tristan Banks, author, filmmaker, a background in television, but also just an all-round nice guy who's even got an online writing school for young writers. He spoke to me very kindly and my first and only podcast experience about his writing process, his books, his family, and also Ginger Megs. It's a pleasure to be able to speak to you today, Tristan Banks. I wanted to start my first question with motivation. In high school, you were an actor on Home and Away, and I wanted to know how much have you changed since the interview you gave where you said your ambition was to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, I still, uh, you know what? I like to think that I'm still that person who would vie for money at the expense of all else. But I've sort of found that what that I get very bored very quickly if I'm just focused on money. Like I've even starting any particular day, if it's a money focus, I really uh, can't stick with it. But what I do stick with is, you know, flow and activities that engage me. And I find that stories do that to a much greater degree. So it's not that I don't want to be paid uh, handsomely for my for my stories, but that uh, if it's just about money, I can't do it. Then let me ask you, if not for money then, what about fame? Uh, not so much. I always thought that um, fame was something that you could sit with if, you know, if 
it was providing something else like opportunities or adventures or something like I think starting out in TV when I was a teenager um, gave me the opportunity to go and live in England and me and my wife went and lived in England for four years and then you know we had adventures where I could go and I, I worked for the travel channel in England and I went to you know Barcelona and to Dublin and to Paris and all these different places to film things um, and so I feel as though uh, fame is okay if it opens up opportunities for other things, but fame in and of itself, not so much. It's a, it's a little bit annoying when you're supposed to, I guess, be creating something or observing the world um, and putting that into your work, whether it's as an actor or a writer. Um, if people are, all, are looking at you, it's more difficult to um, to observe, you know? That's what I found as an actor, you know, uh, living in England. <laughs> I don't think Tom Weekly would have had these qualms about fame or money. He's a character from six books of yours now, which are also illustrated by Gus Gordon. Uh, Gus Gordon's illustrations important to the stories that you've created about Tom Weekly, and why is he short stories? Why do you? Uh, how did you come to short stories? is a really good way to ensure that you're economical in your storytelling. And I try to carry that over into novels as well. I try not to waste people's time. I want the story to crack on. And in a short, in the short form, you have no choice but to be economical. Um, so that's how I sort of, that's my love of, of short stories. Uh, and that led to the, to the Tom Weekly stories. And in terms of Gus's contribution to Tom Weekly, we, as opposed to say Terry and uh, and Andy, who work on their stories um, in collaboration, they'll go away for a week and they'll brainstorm and they'll you know dream up treehouse crazy inventions and things like that. Gus and I would work um, in that I would write the short stories and I'd get them as tight as I possibly could, and then I would work with my editor Brandon Van Over at Penguin and we would tighten up the stories as much as we could and then we'd throw them over to Gus and then he would react to the stories but I would never put little bracketed notes saying Gus draw me a picture of a cat um, Gus do this um, I sort of because he's really established as an illustrator I just wanted to see how he honestly reacted to the stories so he would just you know, read the story himself and then just start doodling and mucking around with an idea and so the stories would sort of um, uh, the illustrations would expand the world of the story in really interesting ways. Now, not all of your characters have been humorous and appeared in short stories. Most of your other books have been uh, longer form stories or novels. And uh, we've seen some really heartbreaking situations. We've also seen dubious dealings in car parks. We've had mystery suspense, but even uh, a few Aussie animals who have been up to no good. But I wanted to know, how do you find the voice of your characters? How do I find my character's voice? I think with Tom Weekly, um, the Tom is essentially a supercharged version of me when I was a kid. I always had dreams of sort of taking over the world and uh, and you know being the captain of the Australian cricket team and rugby league team. And I always had business ideas. You know, I was running dance parties when I was a teenager, and I had a lawn mowing business. And actually, if I hadn't have left school and started acting immediately. My plan was to leave school and try to set up a bunch of these business ideas that I had that I never had time to set up while I was at school. So entrepreneurism was the, wow. the thing that I was I was kind of moving towards and as well as acting at the same time, um, which is which is handy because as a writer, I think uh, you can I spend maybe four or five hours a day writing. 
Um, but then you also have to get those stories out there in front of people. And that does take a kind of entrepreneurial spirit. So in terms of the voice of Tom Weekly, he's essentially me. And then, uh, you know, Ben in Two Wolves and Sam in The Fall and all the other characters, Dan in Detention, um, they're variations on me, I think. Um, there's always a thread of me in them. And I sometimes start off with a, a story idea that is about something that's happened in my life. Uh, for instance, in on the fall, um, when I was in high school, I did work experience with Channel 10 News. And we went to this, uh, this crime scene where a guy had grabbed a woman's handbag, run off through a park, jumped over a fence at the back of the park. And he didn't realize that that was actually on top of uh, a multi-story car park that, and he fell three stories or something. And I use that as the beginning of this crime mystery thriller story called The Fall, um, whereas something like Two Wolves will start outside me. It might start with a news story and then I have to work to personalise that news story and bring it in close to me. So whether I start with a personal story or I work towards the more personal story, there's always a lot of me in it because I find that I really can't, write it authentically unless it has some of my own kind of flesh and blood in the story. Now we're talking today in this lovely time of summer holidays and we don't really need to worry about watches, timetables or calendars just yet before school goes back. But I want to know how do you spend this time? Is this a special time of holiday time for you and your family too? It's a bit of both. I tend to um, stop before Christmas. I actually went on a um, on a kind of threadbow mountain biking adventure with my son for a week before uh, before Christmas, but actually sort of um, early to mid December. Um, and we, yeah, we he's he's sort of fourteen, turning fifteen, and so we went on a, a an adventure together, which was really fun. And then I had a couple of weeks over off over Christmas, but I tend to after New Year, I tend to jump back down into into writing and you get those few weeks when everybody else is still on holidays and uh you're not having to respond to as many emails and things and so it's a really good time for creativity and for kind of setting sales setting sail for the year ahead school holidays are also a great time for us to catch up on our reading could you tell me a bit about the queensland summer reading challenge yeah, the State Library of Queensland has this challenge every year. And uh, this year they've created these 40 online reading challenges for kids. And they've challenged me or dared me to try and do 20 of these challenges. And I made a couple of videos and you get to upload pictures. And there'll be things like um, read inside is one of the things that I made a video for. And so you had to find where's your perfect place to read in the house. And so, you know, do your family annoy you? Do they always want your attention? And where can you hide away to read? And so I built a cubby in this video and sort of hid away um, and sort of suggesting that kids try to build their own reading space in the house. Um, and then there are challenges around music and there are challenges around video and maps and um, lots, lots of cool ways to kind of gamify reading and you earn points for every challenge that you complete. So hopefully... Um, you know, the kids, you know, uh, who are still have, uh, you know, who are, who are wanting to read their way through the summer will join in the challenge. I wanted to ask about your family now. Are your family a part of your writing? They've appeared in your trailers and uh, your, well, Tom Weekly's sister, I've always been curious, is she based on your own sister too? 
<laughs> uh, is Tom Weekly's sister based on my own sister? This has caused much <laughs> upheaval in my family, much ongoing banter between me and my sister, many threats from her that one day she's going to get me back for making Tom Weekly's evil sister, um, you know, uh, quite uh, similar to perhaps the way she was when we were kids, but she denies it all. Actually, she denies being horrible to me and and you know terrorizing me as a child. Um, but anybody who knew her at the time um, concurs with my with my viewpoint. Um, so so yes, she is very much based on my sister. But I, I would I would have to say my sister and Voldemort kind of combined. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then do my family appear in my stories and, and what role do they have in the writing process? Um, certainly my sons have been my first um, readers of my stories. I'll read them drafts of, say, short stories. My younger son, I'll read him drafts of the Tom Weekly short stories and he either falls asleep while I'm reading it um, or he, and this is when he was, you know, 12, 13, um, or he'll be really engaged and he gives a really, as kids do, give a really sort of honest opinion. Oh, that was so good. I loved it when this happened and this, or I didn't really understand what happened when, and that really helps me to, you know, to adjust the stories. Um, and then my older son is more, he's a, a big reader. And so he reads my novels, you know, The Fall and Two Wolves and Detention, and he really gives um, solid insight into those books. Uh, so yeah, they've been they've been vital. And my wife actually used to be my first reader until my sons took over the mantle. And then now uh, it's a bit of a combination. And I also feel like I've written enough books now that I have a pretty strong idea of what's working, um, you know, by the time I'm through a draft. We've kind of touched on this already. And you've mentioned Paul Jennings, who famously said that the boy on the page is him. But is this true for your own characters as well? I have this image of Wendy Orr, the Nims Island author in my mind, and she always says that she does things like if a character has to climb in through the kitchen window sort of thing, she'll go and climb in through the kitchen window and, you know, the tap will come on and it'll start spraying water up and, you know, and all those little details go into the story. And I try as much as possible to get as close as I can to that experience. Like I'm writing a story called Scar Town that's um, set in uh, a kind of sunken town, a town that has been uh, buried underwater for as part of a hydroelectric scheme. So when I was in Threadbow, I went to Jindabyne and I took lots of photos and I went to the um, kind of visitor information and I hounded them for details of old historical documents around uh, Jindabyne being sunk beneath a lake. Um, and another story that I'm writing at the moment, I've been um, working on a novel called Cop and Robber about a kid whose mum's a cop and dad is a thief. And uh, and so I've sort of been trying to find it. Fleur Ferris, a, a young adult author, she was a police officer. And so I'm, you know, constantly hounding her for info and she's very generous with her information. Um, and then uh, Robber's... I haven't spoken to any thieves and my dad wasn't a robber as far as I know. Um, but I'm just sort of trying to get as close. I, I try to get as close to the stories as I can. Can I ask you about acting now? I wanted to know how did you come to acting and how did you know it was for you and has it made you a better writer? I came to acting very early. I just loved it when I was in, even in infants. I remember being in plays when I was in kindergarten, a sort of fairy tale, twisted, ta twisted fairy tale kind of play. And then in um, 
year one and two, I remember being in plays. And my my line was, um, I said the sparrow with my bow and arrow, I killed Cock Robin. I remember that in sort of year one. And then uh, in year three to six, I would write bits for, for um, this thing called the primary proms, which we would do every term. I'd write things that I would then go and perform. And uh, and then in high school, you know, school musicals and a theatre group outside uh, school and then, you know, acting in TV from when I was about uh, year 11, sort of 17 onwards. So um, it was just always the way for me. And, and I think writing and performance have always gone hand in hand. I would write little horror movies and things that me and my mates would, would uh, make in high school. Um, once I was through, once when I went to England, I presented TV, so I would write segments that I would then present. And then as an author, you know, presenting and, and bringing the stories to life in live talks and videos has been a big part of it. So I'll write the story, but then I'll be looking for ways to, to bring it to life. So yeah, that writing and performing have really gone hand in hand from when I was, you know, eight years old. And is writing in your blood? Have you inherited the bug from your parents? Are they writers too? I I think, see, my parents weren't uh, writers, okay. um, but... But they, but but I must say that a lot of my family are good storytellers, as humans are in general. I think we all have members of our family who can tell a story or tell a good joke. I know my dad and my mum, and then on both branches of the family tree, I can sort of see that there are good storytellers, mostly verbal and um, rather than written. But certainly, I can see how storytelling kind of uh, was appealing to me. I got a surprise when I was looking you up on Wikipedia because I realised that we're a similar age, but I feel that you're so much cooler and you must have been younger. I just wanted to know, do you create a look or a brand as a writer? And also, do you form a way of creating stories that fit this brand? Uh, no, I mean, certainly not in terms of an actual look. I mean, I tend to go and buy like seven of the same t-shirt and uh and just wear that every day so i i read this thing where you know lots of people who are uh, whether it's kind of richard branson type characters or you know people who achieve a lot tend to just find a uniform kind of thing so that's one decision that doesn't have to be made in the morning you're not sitting there going oh will i wear the blue thing or the it's just you have a thing that you wear you put it on moving on uh breakfast you have a thing that you do you eat the thing and you move you know it's not like those decisions have to be made every day so i sort of tend to adopt that approach and then i tend to get onto a haircut and then keep it for maybe you know 15 years or something so i've had like three haircuts in my life um so no not not in terms of the actual my actual look i tend to go uh simple but um in terms of what you're about i think early on in my writing i wrote a lot of different things i wrote um you know what i didn't know it was a middle grade novel but the max later uh, cool hunter was a was middle grade upper middle grade you would call it um and then i wrote a young adult novel called yeah. it's your life with my friend tempany deckett who lived in la and i was living in byron bay and we wrote it uh, as emails as though we were um high school students emailing yeah, each other for an english assignment yeah and then and then at the same time i wrote uh knit boy which was younger which i guess you'd call like a junior junior novel or maybe younger middle grade sort of thing. Um, 
Okay, yeah. Look, I think I enjoyed writing it, and I loved writing the book with Tempany. But um, I think in terms, just going back to that branding thing, I think over time you sort of work out what you're best at and how that, in a in a kind of Venn diagram, maybe how that overlaps with the kinds of things that people read of yours and maybe enjoy the most. I certainly wouldn't just write something that I didn't enjoy writing because people wanted it from me. I, f I find that I can't wake up and do that. Um, I also don't necessarily want to write some obscure thing that I'm writing only for myself and spending all my days doing that because uh, ultimately I won't be able to eat uh, or feed my family. Um, so I think that overlap between the thing you love to write and the thing that people like to read of yours. So I think that middle grade area, younger middle grade and upper middle grade, moving between those two sort of seems to be the thing that I do and uh, and the thing that you know that readers enjoy too. Is Tristan Banks always Tristan Banks? When I see you presenting either in front of a crowd of a school audience or at a writers festival, is this the same Tristan Banks who goes down to the shops or mows the grass or does the housework at home? Are these all the same Tristan Banks? Um, I guess it's a version of, you know, you're probably pre presenting the shiniest version of yourself um, when you're presenting something and your stories all seem fun or interesting, hopefully. Whereas around the house, I'm sure that um, my sons would concur that, um, <laughs> that you know, not everything I say is, is engaging or funny or interesting. Um, and they'd probably prefer I didn't say some of the things that I said because it involves them doing homework and things like that. But um, oh, certainly I try to, I think, when you're presenting or when you're writing, if it's as close to you as possible, then it comes across as as the most honest version. So yeah, I I think so. I think it's I think it's a, a it, it's close to my self without the boring bits. Now coming back to Wikipedia, I read that you're also the creator of the Change the World short film. I never realised that was your work, and I've used it several times. What's prompted you to create this film? And are environmental and social changes important to you? I'm sure there are people in advertising who find it very satisfying and feel that they have made a change in the world. But, you know, I don't want to just sell stuff to people. So I really like the idea of marrying the creative work with something that is of use. And so I had this book called Change the World for 10 Bucks. And I had a copy of it. It was great. 50 very simple ways to change the world in small ways every day. And then SBS had a um, had a, an initiative where they were asking for pitches for short films based on some of the activities in this Change the World for 10 Bucks book. So I pitched them this idea called Change the World in five minutes every day at school. And so it's simple ways that in five minutes a day, a class can actually have an impact on the world, whether it be around recycling or whether it be around a community garden in the school or whether it be around, I don't know, lot, lots of different ways that you can have a, a, a very small impact on the world every day. And so, yeah, that that um, film, I think it's up around half a million yeah. views. I have a version on my YouTube as well, but ah. on the on the National Film and Sound Archive website or I mean, a YouTube channel. This leads perfectly into my next question. I wanted to know about being a room to read ambassador. Just that thing of, you know, what am I doing? I was filmmaking back then. I'm writing books now and it makes sense. Room to read was a really inspiring uh, non-profit 
led by a guy called John Wood, who wrote a great book called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World. And when he was 35 years old, he went to India, I think, or it might have been Nepal, Nepal, and he went to a school and he said, where are all the books? And the the uh, principal sort of went into his office and climbed up onto a, you know, in a high cupboard, they had a few books that were sort of left by backpackers, you know, a book in German and a book in English and a book and not really many local language books. And so uh, John Wood went back to America. He had, you know, got all the books he could to send over to various schools in Nepal. And then he very soon started to, um, get local language books published as well with local authors and local illustrators, which led to helping girls education and led to building school libraries in the developing world across sort of 10 or 12 program countries. Anyway, so I think this thing of um, doing the work you do, but also marrying it into something that's uh, useful for the world is, is important to me. Every year we have this thing called the Room to Read World Change Challenge, and it was a, a little five-minute film inspired actually by my change the world in five minutes every day at school film similar sort of style and look and uh and it was about kids trying to raise uh, one class trying to raise five hundred dollars in a single day to buy 500 books for kids in cambodia and they actually raised about 574 dollars these 25 kids in a class a year five six class and we put the video up on youtube and then other schools started to watch the video and then they started raising money and then actually a company stubby schoolware said that they would add they'd put up uh, they would fund match up to $10,000. So they put in $10,000. Kids around Australia raised another $10,000 and we raised 20 grand that year. And we've actually done it every year since where, you know, and now there's a whole writer ambassador team with Melina Marquetta and uh, uh, who, who else? Jackie That's Harvey and Belinda Morell and lots, yeah, lot, um, Oliver Pomavan, um, yeah, Alice Pung, lot, lots of Australian authors who now contribute and team with school to inspire them to try to raise you know around twenty thousand dollars a year for to for mainly for girls education at the moment that's that's been our focus the last couple of years because a lot of girls in the developing world don't have the educational opportunities that boys often do let's talk about social media now i only follow you on instagram and twitter and you're very good at staying on message and on task You've got lots of beautiful photographs outside, sitting in cafes, being out in nature. And I wanted to know, do you get out and about much? I do go outside a fair bit to write. I get bored being at home all the time and writing, you know, you just see the same old thing. And I kind of like the noise of a cafe or I, a few years ago when I was writing Two Wolves, I started walking along the beach and writing and people think I'm faking it because, and they, and like other writers like John Boyne, who's in Ireland and it's snowing and stuff. And he's like, he says bad words to me and things. Um, but uh, it really does help. I think I found that being out in nature, um, it forces you to write authentically. It's difficult to get stuck in your head in nature uh, the way you can when you're inside and you're staring at a computer screen all day. So yeah, whenever I can, like this morning at about seven, I went out and I sat in a sort of outdoor cafe and there was actually a road roaring by and there's people around talking and things. And I found that for a couple of hours from seven till nine, I was able to just get down and focus in a way that if it was perfectly quiet at home and I was by myself, I probably would have got gone to the fridge 17 times and gone to the bathroom and then, you know, I would have just got distracted. So that little bit of um, 
the 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 sense that you're in the world and there are things happening around you sometimes somehow lets me sort of uh, focus on the work at hand coming back now to the process of writing is it an art do you need to keep working at it you know i have notebooks that my mum has kept and stories that i've written that i wrote when i was in you know year 4 or year 5 or year 10 and they're not very good to tell you the truth i mean they're they're fine but i mean i don't know that you necessarily would have said oh you know brilliant i mean i think it was the the one thing that i could do when i was at school that i that i enjoyed and put a lot of effort into and so that was the thing that i excelled at um but I would say that to do it as your work, you know, you just need to show up every day and do it. It's not a thing that I think you can necessarily go off and do something else forever and never invest any time in it and then expect that decades down the track, you're just going to be able to turn your hand to and learn all the craft skills that somebody else has spent decades learning. I really think that, you know, if you are a teacher or you are, um, you know, a, a an owner of shops or you're a you know you're an economist or whatever it is that you do you should still spend those five minutes a day writing if that's the thing that you secretly would like to be doing you know spend 10 minutes write three pages in the morning be okay with it being terrible but just i think investing that time putting that time in the creative bank at whatever age you are you should begin now if that's the thing that you want to do um i'm a big big believer in that and that's how you that's how you become good and writing is hard but how do you stick at it and i think that is the perpetual state of the writer is to feel like it's not as good as you want it to be and to just calmly quietly continue to show up every day and work on it until it is because it's it's very bad for a very long period of time and then finally one time you read it and you go oh i actually I, you know, that's not too, I, I quite like it. And then you do another couple of drafts beyond that to get it to, to a point that hopefully is beyond what your initial idea for the story, you know, your initial expectations might have been. So it's a challenge. It's very difficult. Freemium is my new favourite word. The idea of a business model where at one point it's free, but there's some more behind a paywall. You're very good at this, Tristan Banks, and you make a lot of uh, resources and materials available for free, but you also have, do have a subscription or a premium product available as well. Is it important to make things available for the reader? My first literary agent, Sophie Hamley, who's now a publisher, she said to me very early on when social media sort of was starting to emerge as a thing for the publishing industry and um she had this idea that writers who don't connect with their audience, this was in about 2008, writers who don't connect with their audience will find pretty soon that they won't be published at all, that it's really important to reach out and, and speak to your readership to connect with them, to find out what it is they like and to have genuine sort of connection with your readership. So I always kept that in mind. And she also said another thing, which was... Um, the approach will be that you have some things that you give away for free, some things that you that you have a small price on, and then some things that are more expensive. So, say a, a book, you know, might be the thing that your the people are going to have to pay fifteen or eighteen dollars for. Um, and but then you're going to have things on your website like blog posts or 
tips on reading or writing that you're going to give away for free um, or videos, you know, book trailers and, you know, the knit games and the exploding chickens game on my website are all free. (laughs) And uh, sometimes I'll work on that with a friend and I might pay them some money in order to create the game. Um, And I think that that's an investment in, you know, in the reader and you know and in in the community and then you'll have things that are a little bit that cost a little bit like i have a tom weekly story that's a dollar 49 i think on the on amazon or on google books and it's a that's the only place you'll find that story um and then you know recently there's a, a thing young writers story school that's for for schools and teachers and then that's a subscription model so i think i think having a a, a variety a, a full spectrum of of things that are from free to to paid is a a wise idea for anyone who creates things at the moment the young writers school is a wise idea 24 lessons online videos writing activities Who's going to enjoy it, do you think? And how much do you think um, others will get out of it? It's an hour that a kid will go, oh, I actually wrote all this stuff and I kind of didn't know I was doing it because we were just in the flow and we're mucking around, we're telling stories, we're listening to music, we're, and I wanted it to have the feeling of everything that I've learnt in 13 years of um, of visiting school. So, yeah, it's called Young Writers Story School. And uh, last year... In terms of the pivot, um, I had, you know, maybe 90 or 100 days of school visits booked in as I do every year. And suddenly you couldn't do any of them. And I was going to Vietnam for a couple of weeks to work with schools in Saigon and uh, Ho Chi Minh City. I couldn't do those things. And so I had to work out how am I going to do this? And for years I've been doing Skype talks with schools since about 2011. And uh and I've been trying to do more and more of those and they slowly edge up. I think I was up to maybe I'd do like 25 or 30 a year. And then suddenly the Skype talk inverted commas was the way, you know, that a lot of these talks that were in person and, and thankfully I'd sort of been working on screen sharing. I'd been working on ways to make this interactive for many years. And so I actually ended up doing as much or more speaking last year via Zoom than, and Teams and Meet and all those things as I do in person. And because I use lots of video and images and music and maps and things in my talks, I think that the talks really lend themselves quite readily to the screen. Um, and then I do recorded talks, one-hour recorded talks um, as well. And so this led to me thinking I should finally, after nine years of writing notes about Young Writers Story School, I should actually take the time to record it. So I got a crew together and a great producer who advised me and some really good camera people. And we recorded, we spent a week recording these 24 three-minute video lessons about everything I know about writing with a writing challenge in each video. And, uh, and then we, you know, we I edited them and worked with an editor, and uh, and finally put them up online, and and so there they are. So it's sort of I see it as like having an author in the classroom all year round in a way. Time is getting away from us, but one more question: I wanted to know about the one hundredth anniversary of Ginger Meggs. Who was Ginger Meggs, and can you tell us a bit about your great uncle Jimmy Banks? Jimmy Banks in 1921 and I've always loved Ginger Meg since I was a little boy and knowing that 
he was um, my, a relative of mine, the creator of this strip. And my grandmother had these original Ginger Megs uh, illustrations up on her wall by Jimmy Banks when I was a kid. And I'd sort of look up and get inspired and draw my own comic strips, which were very bad because I can't draw. But I kept the storytelling element of that and continue. And I went on to live Mad Magazine and things. But I've always sort of uh, read Ginger Megs and... I around the 90th birthday I really wanted to make a documentary about Jim and Ginger and Australian identity and if that vision of Australian identity that we had of, of ourselves in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s is still is that still current is it irrelevant how do we get a new sense of ourselves as Australians and finally in this around the 100th anniversary a couple of years ago I pitched the idea of a Ginger Megs book of short stories and uh, I've written that book and it's been wow. illustrated by um, yeah, yeah, and it comes out in May. And Jason Chatfield, the illustrator, uh, the current artist for Ginger Megs, he's really modernised the strip and contemporised it. And you know, the the cast of characters is more diverse now to reflect you know a, a school as it would be now in Australia as opposed to what it was in the nineteen twenties. And uh, and it was fun working with him and the and the team at uh, Penguin, the, the great designer called uh, Krista Bella Designs, and Krista has designed a few of my book covers and she's done a really nice job and then full color illustrations and it's hardback and yeah I think it's the best looking book that I've uh, written so yeah I'm looking forward to it coming out. May 21 is when Tristan's new book Ginger Megs comes out. I'd like to say thank you very much for Tristan Banks for joining me in this interview but most of all thank you to Danny V for having the confidence in letting me attempt this and for anyone listening who's made it this far 